Chapter Eleven of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eleven. With a slow and thoughtful step, I mounted the staircase, glad to escape, by the quiet tardiness of my return, the importunate congratulations which my landlady, attributing my delivery entirely to her own eloquence, was prepared to shower upon me as soon as I came back. Cutting her off, then, from this very laudable exercise of her tongue, and gratification of her vanity, I ascended the stairs, as I have said, in silence, and was first met by Father Francis, who, after embracing me, drew me into his own apartment, and informed me that a letter had arrived from my father, requiring my immediate return to France. "'And God be praised, my dear son,' said the old man, "'that you are at liberty to quit this dark and fearful country, "'and return to your parents and happy native land. "'But go,' continued he, "'into your own apartment, "'where your good friend the Chevalier waits you. "'I know not why, "'but he seems in a strange agitation, "'speaks abruptly, "'and appears to me displeased, "'though with what I know not, "'without it be your sudden recall to your own home. "'In truth, I never saw him so affected.' I well understood the meaning of the Chevalier's agitation. I myself was agitated, and embarrassed how to act, and consequently I acted ill. When I entered, my friend was walking up and down the room, with his eyes fixed upon the ground, but on hearing my step he raised them, and fixed them sternly on my face. The fear of appearing guilty, and the impossibility of clearly exculpating myself, had a greater effect upon my countenance than perhaps real guilt would have had, and the rebellious blood flew up with provoking hurry to my cheek. Angry at my own embarrassment, I resolved to master it, but the effort communicated something of bitterness to my manner towards the chevalier, who had hitherto said nothing to call it forth. He remarked it, and striding towards the door which I had left open, he shut it impatiently, then turned towards me, and, with a straining eye, demanded, "'Tell me, Count Louis de Bigorre, after all the evidence brought forward to prove that you passed last night in this house, tell me, was it, or was it not you, that I saw enter this door at two o'clock this morning?' "'I should think,' replied I, coldly, "'that what satisfied the judge before whom I was accused would be enough to satisfy any one really my friend.' "'Not when their own eyes were evidence against you,' answered the Chevalier indignantly. "'I thought you incapable of a subterfuge. "'Once more, was it you, or was it not?' "'Though I deny your right to question me,' I replied, "'growing heated at the authority he assumed. "'Yet to show that I seek no subterfuge, I answer it was. "'But at the same time I repeat that I am innocent, "'perfectly innocent of the crime with which I was charged.' cried the chevalier with an air of scorn that almost mastered my patience and turning on his heel he quitted the room and the house when what we have done produces a disagreeable consequence whether we have really acted right or not we are apt to call to mind every line of conduct which we might have pursued and fix upon any other as preferable to that which we have adopted Thus, no sooner had the Chevalier left me than I thought of a thousand means whereby I might have persuaded him of my innocence, 
without breaking my promise to the corregidor, and I resolved to seek him, as soon as the preparations for my return to France were completed, and explain myself, as far as I could, without violating the confidence reposed in me. My resolution, however, came too late. About an hour after his departure, one of the servants of the house where he lodged brought me a letter from him, of the following tenure. I leave you, and for ever. You have done me the greatest injury that one man can inflict upon another. You have shown me what human nature really is, and you have made me a misanthrope. I had watched you from your infancy, and I had fancied that amongst the many faults and errors from which youth is never exempt, I perceived the germ of great and shining qualities of heart and mind. I devoted myself to cultivate them to maturity, and to train them aright. Perhaps I was selfish in doing so, for what man is not selfish? But bitter is the atonement which you have forced me to make. Adieu, seek me not henceforth. Know me not if we meet. Be to me as a stranger. Though, for the sake of your unhappy father, I rejoice in your escape from the punishment your crime deserves. My interest in yourself is over, and I would fain raise out from the tablets of memory all that concerns one so unworthy of the esteem I once entertained for him. This was hard to endure, especially from one that I both respected and loved. My heart swelled with a mixture of indignation and sorrow, both at the loss of a friend and at his unjust suspicion. And though my consciousness of innocence guarded me from bitterer regrets, yet it increased my painful irritation at the wrong I suffered, and at my disappointment in not being able to exculpate myself. Occupation, however, in every situation of life the greatest blessing and relief, now came to my aid, and called my attention for a time from the dark and gloomy views that the circumstances of my fate presented at the moment. Our departure was fixed for the next morning, and all the thousand petty accumulations of business which always hang about the last day of one's sojourn in any place now came upon me at once the weather had much altered since our arrival at saragossa for three months had tamed the lion of the summer and it was not at all events heat that we had to fear on our journey cold autumn winds were now blowing and saluted us rudely the moment we got beyond the sheltering walls of the city piercing to our very bones I would have given a pistole for half an hour of the hot-breathed siroc to warm the air, till we could heat ourselves by exercise. As we approached the mountains, however, it became colder and more cold, and the prospect of their snowy passes fell chill and cheerless upon our anticipations. Yet there was something vast and majestic in their aspect, which raised and elevated the mind above the petty cares and sorrows of existence. I had been grave, I had been gloomy, I had been perhaps peevish, but the contrast between the transitory littleness of all human things and the eternal grandeur of such objects reproved the impatient repinings of my heart. I felt a consolation in looking upon them as they stretched along before me in the same bold towering forms that they had presented unmemoried centuries ago. It seemed as if they said, Ages and generations, nations and languages, have passed away and been forgotten, with all their idle hopes and vain solicitudes, 
while we have stood unmoved unaged unaltered even time the inexorable enemy of all man's works lays not upon us his profaning finger and while he overthrows the arch that records man's glory and hurls down the column that monuments his grave he dares not spoil the fabrics of that great god who created him and us under the influence of such thoughts the recollections of the last two days gradually lost themselves and though i rode along grave and perhaps melancholy my melancholy was not of that bitter and gloomy nature produced by worldly cares and griefs father francis was well acquainted with the many changes of my mood and consequently found it not at all extraordinary that i was silent and thoughtful but attributing my seriousness to the events which had happened at saragossa he wisely let them sleep hoping that they would soon pass from my memory towards the evening on the second day of our journey we arrived at a little village consisting of about half a dozen shepherds huts situated at the very foot of the mountains and here we learned that the port de gavani by which we intended to have entered france was completely blocked up with snow but that less had fallen near gaba and that consequently the passes in that direction were predictable thither then we directed our steps the next morning having procured a guide amongst the shepherds who agreed to conduct us as far as la rune though he often looked at the sky which had by this time become covered with heavy leaden-looking clouds and shook his head saying that we must make all speed there was but little good augury in his looks and less in the prospect around us for as we began to ascend the whole scene appeared covered with the cold robe of winter all the higher parts of the mountains showed but one mass of snow and every precipice under which we passed seemed crowned with an impending avalanche which nothing but the black limbs of the gigantic pines in which that region abounds held from an instantaneous descent upon our heads no frost however had yet reached the bottom of the ravines through which we travelled the path was rather damp and slippy and the stream rushed on over the rocks without showing one icicle to mark the rain of winter father francis's mule which had delayed us on our former journey now proved more sure-footed at least than either of the horses and the good priest finding himself quite secure and at his ease dilated on the grandeur of the scenery and the magnificence of nature even in her rudest forms i am nothing of a misanthrope said he and yet i find in the contemplation of the works of god a charm that man and all his arts can never communicate when i look upon the mighty efforts of creation i feel them to be all true and genuine all unchangeable the effect of universal beneficence acting with almighty power but when i consider even the greatest and most splendid deeds of man i am never certain in what base motives they originated or for what bad ends they were designed how much pain and injustice their execution may have cost or how much misery and vice may attend upon their consequences in all man does there is that germ from which evil may spring while the works of god are always beautiful in themselves and excellent in their purpose and yet my good father said i willing enough to shorten the tedious way with conversation 
though you pronounce the flash of glory to be but a misleading meteor and power a dangerous precipice and love a volcano as full of earthquakes as fertility yet still there are some things amongst men's deeds which even you can contemplate with delight and admiration the protecting the weak the assuaging grief the dispensing joy the leading unto virtue and right true louis true answered he and yet i know not whether my mind is saddened to-day but though all these actions are admirable how rare it is we can be certain that the motives which prompted them were good only i believe when we look into our own breast and then if we examine steadfastly clearly accurately how many faults how many weaknesses how many follies how many crimes do we not find to make us turn away our eyes from the sad prospect of the human heart here i can look around me and see beauty springing from beneficence and everything that is magnificent proceeding from everything that is wise and oh how happy how full of joy and tranquillity is the conviction that death itself the worst evil which can happen to this frail body is the work of that great creator who made both the body and the soul and certainly made them not in vain a moment or two after indeed but so close upon what he said that no other observation had been made i heard a kind of rushing noise and looking up towards the cloud above us which hid with a thick veil the whole tops of the mountains i saw it agitated as if by a strong wind while a roar more awful than that of thunder made itself heard above i knew the voice of the lavange and with an instant perception i know not how nor why that it was rather behind than before us i laid my hand before father francis's bridle and spurred forward like lightning to my surprise the obstinate mule on which he was mounted instead of resisting my effort to make it go on put itself at once into a gallop as if it were instinctively aware of the approaching danger Usay and the guide followed with all speed and in a moment after we reached a spot where the valley turning abruptly to the left afforded a certain shelter here i turned to look and never shall i forget the scene that i witnessed thundering down the side of the hill rushing and roaring and devastating in its course came an immense shapeless mass of dim hue raising a sort of misty atmosphere round itself as it fell the mountain even to where we stood shook under its descent the valleys and the precipices and the caverns echoed back the tremendous roar of its fall immense masses of rock rolled down before it impelled by the violent pressure of the air which it occasioned and long ere it reached them the tall pines tottered and swayed as if writhing under the consciousness of approaching destruction till at length it touched them when one after another fell crashing and uprooted into its tremendous mass and were hurled along with it down the side of the steep down down it rushed dazzling the eye and deafening the ear and sweeping all before it till striking the bottom of the valley with a sound as if a thousand cannon had been discharged at once it blocked up the whole pass dispersing the stream in a cloud of mist and shaking by the mere concussion a multitude of crags and rocks down from the summit of the mountain long after it fell 
the hollow windings of the ravines prolonged its roar with many an echoing sound dying slowly away till all again was silence and the mist dispersing left the frowning destruction that the lavange had caused exposed to the sight in all its full horrors father francis raised his hands to heaven and though i am sure that few men were better prepared to leave this earth and had less of man's lingering desire still to remain upon it yet with that instinctive love of life which neither religion nor philosophy can wholly banish he thanked god most fervently for our preservation from the fate which had just passed us by we had indeed many reasons to be thankful not only for our escape from the immediate danger of the lavange but also for having been enabled to accomplish our passage before its fall had blocked up the path along which we were proceeding the guide indeed seemed little disposed to prophesy good even from what we had escaped the avalanches he said were very uncommon in that season of the year and when they did happen they were always indicative of some great commotion likely to take place in the atmosphere neither did he love he proceeded to say those heavy clouds that rested halfway down the sides of the mountains nor the dead stillness of the air both of which seemed to him to forebode a snowstorm the most certain agent of the traveller's destruction in the winter nothing remained however but to urge our course forward as fast as possible but the mule of the good priest had now resumed her hereditary obstinacy and neither blows nor fair words would induce her to move one step faster than suited her immediate convenience so that it bade fair to be near midnight before we could reach the first town in the valley de Sceaux. after many a vain attempt upon the impassable animal we were obliged to yield and proceed onward as slowly as she chose while occasionally a sort of low howling noise in the gorges of the mountain gave notice that the apprehensions of the guide were likely to be verified a large eagle too kept sailing slowly before us breaking with its ill-omened voice as it flitted down the ravine the profound death-like silence of the air over the whole of the scene there was a dark inexpressible gloom which found its way heavily to our own hearts all was still too and noiseless except the dull melancholy sounds i have mentioned it seemed as if nature had become dumb with awe at the approaching tempest no bird enlivened the air with its song no insect interrupted the stillness with the hum no object of life presented itself except a hawk or a raven shooting quickly across evidently not in pursuit of prey but in search of shelter the hills and rocks were all cold and grey except where the snow had lodged in large white masses which rendered their aspect still more cheerless and desolate the sky was dark heavy and frowning and every object seemed benumbed by the hand of death so that it was impossible on looking around upon that sad chill powerless scene to fancy it could ever reawaken into life and sunshine and summer gradually the howling of the mountains increased and the wind began to break upon us with quick sharp gusts that almost threw us from our horses while a shower of small fine sleet drove in our faces fatiguing and teasing us as well as impeding our progress the guide began now to grumble loudly at the slowness of father francis's mule 
and to declare that he would not stay and risk his life for any mule in france or aragon we were now upon the french side of the mountains and as the road was sufficiently defined i doubted not that we should be able to find our way without his assistance as his insolence became louder therefore i told him if he were a coward and afraid to stay by those persons he had undertaken to guide to spur on his horse and deliver us from his tongue as speedily as possible he took me at my word replying that he was no coward but that having his wife and children to provide for his life was of value that if we would go faster he would stay with us and guide us on but that if we would not the path was straight before us and that we had nothing to do but follow it by the side of the stream till it led us to a town seeing him thus determined i thought it better to send forward Husay along with him giving him directions to return with some people of the country to lead us right if we should have missed our way and to relieve us in case we should be overwhelmed by the snow Husay still smacked too much of the old soldier to say a word in opposition to a received order and though he looked very much as if he would have willingly stayed with father francis and myself yet he instantly obeyed and putting spurs to his horse followed the guide on towards la rue the storm every moment began to increase and so sharp was the wind in our faces that we could hardly distinguish our way being nearly blinded with snow mingled with a sort of extremely fine hail the atmosphere also loaded with thin particles was now so dim and obscure that it was not possible to see more than fifty yards before us and while wandering on through the semi-opaque air the objects around appeared to assume a thousand strange and fantastic shapes of giants and towers and castles as their indistinct forms were changed by the hand of fancy even to the animals that bore us these transformations seemed to be visible for more than once my horse started from a rock which had taken the shape of some beast and once we were nearly half an hour in getting the mule past an old pine which the tempest had hurled down the mountain and which leaning over a mass of stone looked like an immense serpent stretching out its neck to devour whatever living thing should pass before it in the meanwhile the ground gradually became thickly covered with snow and every footfall of the horse left a deep mark telling plainly how rapidly the accumulation was going on still we made but little progress and what between slipping and climbing both the mule and the horse soon lost their vigour with fatigue and we had now much difficulty in making them proceed not long after the guide left us it evidently began to grow dark and it was with feelings i have seldom felt that i observed the gathering gloom which grew around the white glare of the snow did indeed afford some light but so confused and indistinct that it served to dazzle but not to guide all vestige of a path was soon effaced and the only means of ascertaining in which way our road lay was by the murmuring of the stream that still continued to rush on at the bottom of the precipice over which we passed even the black patches which had been left where some large stone or salient crag had sheltered any spot from the drift were soon lost and it became evident that much more snow had fallen on the french side of the mountains even before that day than we had been led to expect 
Our farther progress became at every step more and more perilous, for none of the crevices and gaps in the path were now visible, and the tormenting dashing of the snow in our eyes, and in those of our beasts, prevented us, or them, from choosing even those parts which appeared most solid and secure. I had hitherto led the way, but Father Francis now insisted upon going first, on account of the sure-footed nature of the mule, whose instinctive perception of every dangerous step was certain to secure him, he observed, from perils of the nature we were most likely to encounter. The mule might also, he continued, in some degree serve to guide my horse, who had more than once stumbled upon the slippery and uneven rocks, concealed as they were by the snow. After some opposition, I consented to his doing so, feeling a sort of depression of mind which I can only attribute to fatigue. It was not fear, but there was a sort of deep despondency grew upon me, which made me give up all hope of ever disentangling ourselves from the dangerous situation in which we were placed. The cold, the darkness, the chilly, piercing wind, the void, yawning expanse of the dim hollow before me, the melancholy howling of the mountains, the rush and the tumult of the swelling stream below, the whispering murmur of the pine woods above, beginning with a gentle sigh and growing hoarser and hoarser, till it ended in a roar like the angry billows of the ocean, all affected my mind with dark and gloomy presentiments. I never hoped to save my life from the rude hand of the tempest. I hardly know whether I wished it. Despair had obtained so firm a hold of my mind that it had scarcely power even to conceive a desire. After we had changed the order of our progression, however, we went on for some time much more securely, the mule stepping on with a quiet caution and certainty peculiar to those animals, and my horse following it step by step, as if perfectly well understanding her superiority in such circumstances, and allowing her to lead without one feeling of jealousy. Still the snow fell, and the wind blew, and the irritating howling and roaring of the mountains continued with increasing violence, while the blank darkness of the night surrounded us on all sides. When suddenly the mule stopped, and showed an evident determination of proceeding no farther, Fearful lest there should be any hidden danger which she did not choose to pass, I dismounted as carefully from my horse as I could, and proceeding round the spot where she stood, I went on a few paces, trying the ground at each step I took. But all was firm and even, indeed much more smooth than any we had hitherto passed. The path, it is true, ran along the verge of the precipice, but there wanted no room for two or three horses to have advanced abreast, and, consequently, seeing that the beast was actuated by a fit of obstinacy, I mounted again and proceeded to ride round, for the purpose of leading the way, to try whether she would not then follow. Accordingly, I spurred on my horse to pass her, but he had scarcely taken two steps forward when the vicious mule struck out with her hind feet full in his chest. He reared, plunged, reared again, and in a moment I found his haunches slipping over the precipice behind. It was the work of a moment, but with the overpowering instinct of self-preservation, I let go the bridle, sprang forward from his back, and catching hold of the rhododendrons and other tough shrubs on the brink, 
found myself hanging in the air with my feet just beating against the face of the rock. My brain turned giddy, and an agonizing cry, something between a neigh and a scream, from the depths below, told me dreadfully the fate which I had just escaped. Slowly and cautiously, fearing every moment that the slender twigs by which I held would give way, and precipitate me down into the horrid abyss that had received my poor horse, I contrived to raise myself till I stood once more upon firm ground, and then replied to the anxious calls of Father Francis, who had dimly seen the horse plunge over, and had heard his cry from below, but knew not whether I had fallen with him or not. My heart still beat too fast, and my brain turned round too much to permit of our proceeding for some minutes. The loss of my horse, also, was likely to prove a serious addition, if not to our danger, at least to my fatigues. Nothing, however, could be done to remedy the misfortune, and after pausing for a while in order to gain breath, we attempted to recommence our journey. For the purpose of leading her on, I laid my hand upon the mule's bridle, but nothing would make her move, and the moment I tried to pull her forward, or Father Francis touched her with the whip, she ran backwards towards the edge of the precipice, till another step would have plunged her over. Nothing now remained but for the good priest to descend, and take his journey forward also on foot. As soon as he was safely off the back of the vicious beast which had caused us so much uncomfort and danger, I again attempted to make her proceed. Resolving in the height of my anger, if she again approached the side, rather to push her over than save her. But with cunning equal to her obstinacy, she perceived that we should not entertain the same fear as when her rider was upon her back, and instead of pulling backwards as before, she calmly laid herself down on her side, leaving us no resource but to go forward without her. The most painful part of our journey now began. Every step was dangerous, every step was difficult. Nothing but horror and gloom surrounded us on all sides, and death lay around us in a thousand unknown shapes. Wherever we ascended, we had to struggle with the full force of the overpowering blast, and wherever the path verged into a descent, there we had slowly to choose our way with redoubled caution, with a road so slippery that it was hardly possible to keep one's feet and a profound precipice below, while the wind tore us in its fury, and the snow and sleet beat upon us without ceasing. For nearly an hour we continued to bear up against it, struggling onward with increasing difficulties, sometimes falling, sometimes dashed back by the wind, with our clothes drenched in consequence of the snow melting upon us, and the cold of the atmosphere growing more intense as every minute of the night advanced. At length hope itself was wearied out, and at a spot where the ravine opened out into a valley to the right and left, while our path continued over a sort of causeway, with the valley on one hand, and a deep dell filled up with snow on the other, Father Francis, who had hitherto struggled on with more vigour than might have been expected from his age, suddenly stopped, and resting on a rock, declared his incapacity to go any farther. "'My days are over, Louis,' said he. "'Leave me, and go forward as fast as you can. "'If I mistake not, that is the pass just above La Rue. "'Speed on, speed on, my dear boy. 
A quarter of an hour, I know, would put us in safety. But I have not strength to sustain myself any longer. I have done my utmost, and I must stop. He spoke so feebly that the very tone of his voice left me no hope that he would be able to proceed, especially across that open part of the valley, where we were exposed to the full force of the wind. It already dashed against us with more tremendous gusts than we had yet felt, whirling up the snow into thick columns that threatened every moment to overwhelm us, and I doubted not that the path beyond lay still more open to its fury. To leave the good old man in that situation was, of course, what I never dreamed of, and consequently I expressed my own determination to wait there also for the return of Usay, who, I deemed, could not be long in coming to search for us. "'No, Louis, no!' cried Father Francis. "'The wind, the snow, the cold are all increasing. You must attempt to go on, for if you do not, you will perish also.' but first listen to an important piece of information which has been confided to me. As I cannot bear the message myself, you must deliver it to your mother. Tell her... I could hardly hear what he said. His voice was so faint, and the howling of the storm so dreadful. A few more broken words were added, but before he had concluded, a gust of wind more violent than any we had hitherto encountered whirled round us both with irresistible power. I strove to hold by the rock with all my force, but in vain. I was torn from it, as if I had been a straw, and the next moment was dashed with the good priest into the midst of the snow that had collected in the dell below. We sunk deep down into the yielding drift, which, rising above our heads, for a moment nearly suffocated me. Soon, however, I found that I could breathe, and though all hope was now over, I contrived to remove the snow that lay between myself and Father Francis, of whose gown I had still retained a hold. I told him I was safe, and called to him to answer me. He made no reply. I raised his head. He moved not. I put my hand upon his heart. It had ceased to beat. End of chapter 11